Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, the pastor of Our Lady of the Rosary Catholic Church in Greenville, South Carolina. And this program explores the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. We have a variety of different topics, conversion stories, apologetics, the church alive in the world, and Catholic culture. So tune in every week and listen to this program. As I say, it's a ministry of Our Lady of the Rosary Catholic Church. Come and find us at the junction of I-85 and Augusta Road in Greenville, South Carolina. Today we're going to be talking about C.S. Lewis, the great Anglican writer, writer of the wonderful Narnia Chronicles, apologist for the Christian faith, and a great man all around and a great Christian. He had a great influence in my life. I think I probably first read C.S. Lewis when I was a student at Bob Jones University, a college student, picked up more Christianity in the bookstall and began to read it and became more and more entranced by this great and, and brilliant mind. One of the things which attracted me by C.S. Lewis at the time was that here was a man who presented the Christian faith, which was the, the faith once delivered to the saints, the Orthodox Christian faith, which had simply been believed for the last 2,000 years, and he presented it in a way which was uh, intelligent and witty, thoughtful and well-read. And coming from a, an evangelical background in America, a lot of the religion that I've been brought up in was kind of narrow and limited by our culture and limited by only a certain range of reading and literature. And here I was reading all the great writers in, in English language, and C.S. Lewis was one of them. And the influence he had on my life was therefore really very profound. I went on to read Surprised by Joy, which is his autobiography and Pilgrim's Regress. Greatly enjoyed Screwtape Letters, the letters which a senior devil writes to a younger devil. And then The Seven Chronicles of Narnia, in which he takes us into a fantasy world peopled with all sorts of wonderful creatures and four children go on great adventures as they go to Narnia. These famous books have now become children's classics, and they're deeply Christian in, in an allegorical sort of way, showing to us Christ and his redemption and the love he, that God has for us. I went on then to read his apologetics works, uh, reading again Mere Christianity and uh, Miracles and the Four Loves, and really got into C.S. Lewis and enjoyed his writings more and more. At the same time, I uh, had the opportunity to go to, to Europe a couple of times on mission trips when I was a student at Bob Jones and I had the chance on the first time to go to England, and I loved it. I, I got a bad case of what might be called Anglophilia, which is the love of all things English. And I went back a second time to do a mission trip in Scotland with some Bob Jones Baptists, and uh, we went around knocking on doors and trying to get people to come to the Baptist church. And in the meantime, I was traveling around and getting an even heavier dose of this Anglophilia disease and loving all things British and English and um, wanting to go back there again for even more. At the same time, I was in college reading C.S. Lewis and now J.R.R. Tolkien and George Herbert and John Donne and uh, all the great English writers and really felt that I wanted to go over and live in England. And I had become an Anglican by this time, partially because I asked myself, what religion was C.S. Lewis and uh, T.S. Eliot and these other writers and found out they were Anglican, members of the Church of England, and that they followed Jesus Christ in the church, which was ancient and historical, had a beautiful liturgy, and I was attracted to it. I became an Anglican at a little church in Greenville, South Carolina, was baptized there, and eventually felt the call to the Anglican priesthood. And it was C.S. Lewis and his writings which drew me further up and further in to the historic church, the church which is linked with the apostles and back through to Jesus Christ and the church that he was founded. I then had the opportunity to go actually over to England. After Bob Jones, I had the chance to go and study in Oxford. Never forget the day I arrived in Oxford at the train station and the taxi took me up to Wycliffe Hall, which is the college where I was studying. And um, I didn't know any, anything about England and the English people, really. But driving up St. Giles, which is one of the main streets in Oxford, 
and I looked out the window, and there was a pub called The Burden Baby. And I recognized that as one of the places that C.S. Lewis and Tolkien used to go. And I said, this is really it. This is Oxford. This is England. This is C.S. Lewis land. This is where he actually lived and worked. And so I had the opportunity to live there for three years and study. And that was a a most wonderful and a, a great, great opportunity. Walking where he walked and sitting where he sat and studying where he studied, you could almost hear his voice echoing through the halls there. You would actually bump into people who knew him, people who were his students. I can remember the opportunity of meeting Walter Hooper, who was C.S. Lewis's secretary in the final years of his life. And Walter Hooper befriended me, and and, uh, we got talking about C.S. Lewis and his life and his world. And that became a wonderful part of my experience in England. When I lived in England for 25 years then, at first as an Anglican priest and then as a Catholic layman, one of the people I met there was Joseph Pierce, a fellow Englishman and a fellow convert to the Catholic faith. And Joseph and I have established a good friendship over the years. He eventually moved to the United States and is working at Ave Maria College and working now as a writer, freelance writer as well, continuing to churn out wonderful books on Shakespeare and Tolkien and Lewis and Solzhenitsyn and all the great Catholic literary figures. And Joseph is here with me today, and he's going to be talking with me in the second half of the program about why C.S. Lewis never converted to the Catholic Church. This is a question that I am asked time and time again when I go out on speaking engagements and talk about C.S. Lewis. And invariably, when we open up for questions, people with that handle go up and they'll say, why do you think C.S. Lewis never converted to the Catholic faith? And there's some good reasons for that, which I'm going to be discussing with Joseph after the break. C.S. Lewis, though, didn't convert to the Catholic faith. He remained an Anglican his whole life. But I can attest to the fact that C.S. Lewis's mere Christianity uh, was an Anglican version, if you like, of simply that historic faith which all Christians have followed for the last 2,000 years. It's a faith which can be distinguished from modernism because it's a Christian faith which is, as C.S. Lewis said about himself, is a thoroughgoing supernaturalist. Lewis believed that the Christian faith was revealed by God to humanity, and it's something which was to believed and be be submitted to. It was not something which was created by human beings out of a sort of vague religious instinct where they were trying to imagine and make up some kind of religion about God. It wasn't a religion which just sort of came out of certain cultural circumstances and sort of emerged and could be changed according to the fashions of the time. Instead, the Christian religion was something which was revealed by God first to the Jewish people and then in the fullness of his his revelation in his son Jesus Christ in his death and his glorious resurrection and in the foundation of the church. And the church and the sacraments of the church is something that C.S. Lewis really believed in. He never took the step of coming into the Catholic Church. We're going to discuss why that is after the break with Joseph Pierce, who's here with us. You're listening to more Christianity, exploring the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, the host for your show, and I hope you'll stay tuned and join us in the second half. I want to take a moment and tell you about one of the books I've written. The Quest for the Creed is 20 short chapters on the Apostles' Creed. It's a Chestertonian romp through the Apostles' Creed, admitting that some of the style is a bit sort of like G.K. Chesterton. There's lots of wordplay, lots of fresh ideas, lots of new ways of looking at the Christian truths. The Quest for the Creed is on Amazon, in good bookshops, and also through my website, DwightLongenecker.com. And now, back to more Christianity. Welcome back to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, the pastor of Our Lady of the Rosary Catholic Church. And this program is a ministry of Our Lady of the Rosary Catholic Church 
where Augusta Road meets I-85 in Greenville, South Carolina. You're listening to Catholic Radio in South Carolina. Thank you for tuning in. In More Christianity, we discuss the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. And my guest today, talking about why C.S. Lewis did not convert to the Catholic Church, is my friend, author, biographer, and Englishman, Joseph Pierce. Good afternoon. Welcome. So, let me ask you straight. The question that I get when I talk about C.S. Lewis, and I probably you always get as well when you're talking about Lewis and Tolkien, is why did C.S. Lewis, who was such a wonderful Christian, such a wonderful writer, such a brilliant man, who understood the Christian faith and all the arguments, and he had these good friends who were Catholics, Tolkien and his doctor, I think um, Dr. Havard was also a Catholic, um, men he greatly respected, and, and Tolkien, who was instrumental in bringing him into the Christian faith. So, what was his problem? Well, you know, when when I give talks uh, around the country uh, and I'm asked that question, which is very with with, uh, with monotonous regularity, right? And why did C.S. Lewis never become a Catholic? It's a difficult question. I mean, I wrote a book called C.S. Lewis and the Catholic Church, and and, and so it's a full length book that discusses C.S. Lewis's relationship with the Catholic Church. So to try to answer a question adequately, if you've written you know sixty or seventy thousand words on it in a two-minute soundbite is not, not very easy. Well, then I think you better tell the listeners <laughs> the, the, the name of your book again. Yeah, C.S. Lewis and the Catholic Church, published by Ignatius Press. Right. And where can they get that? From the local Catholic bookstore? Or? Local Catholic bookstore, Barnes & Noble, Borders, Amazon.com, Ignatius.com, all the best places. C.S. Lewis and the Catholic Church by Joseph Pierce. There you go. And we're talking with the author right here on More Christianity. So what is the answer then? Well, I mean, so when you're forced to try to encapsulate the answer, I, I give I, I give a uh, the bottom line, if you like, but mm-hmm. it's an oversimplification. So the bottom line is really summed up by what, by, by what J.R.R. Tolkien said. Tolkien, the author, author of The Lord of the Rings, great friend of, of, of C.S. Lewis, who, as you said, was responsible uh, under grace to, to bring Lewis from atheism to Christianity. When Tolkien was asked why did uh, C.S. Lewis never become a Catholic, mm. he smiled and said, the ulsterior motive. And there's a pun there which made some explanation to American listeners. The ulsterior motive. The ulsterior motive. Okay, I like that. A- as in ulterior motive, but the, the play is on the word Ulster, Northern right. Ireland, because uh, C.S. Lewis was born in Belfast, Protestant parents. Belfast throughout the 19th and 20th century was one of the most secu- uh, sectarian communities in the whole of the world. The Protestants in particular in Northern Ireland treated the Catholics with contempt. For instance, in Lewis's own household, it would have been unthinkable to hire even a Catholic servant, to even have Catholics uh, in okay, the house. Joseph, without going into too much detail, what was this sectarian thing? Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland, really quickly, what was the history there which made that happen? <laughs> well, again, this is another 70,000-word book that needs to be written. You want me to put, put in the one, one minute, but we'll, we'll do our best. Basically, the history of Ireland uh, over the last five or six hundred years has, has, has largely consisted of the English beating them up. Beating uh, up the Catholic beating Irish. Up, beating up the Catholic right. Irish going over there. And in Northern Ireland, what happened after the uh, the, uh, the war, which, which led to William of Orange beating James II, the British government planted a Protestant population in Northern Ireland. From Scotland. From, from the lowlands of Scotland. Right. Um, and basically those Protestants treated the Catholics uh, as second-class citizens. So uh, for, there was 200 years of resentment building up. And so the Protestants in Northern Ireland who were imported from Scotland by the, Brit- by the English had the backing of the English establishment. Oh, absolutely. Right. It, it, okay. it, was, it was part of a, the phrase we saw in the 20th century, ethnic cleansing, to actually make sure that there was a, there was a section in Ireland that was going to be loyal to, to the crown. 
um, as opposed to the rebellious uh, Irish. Now, the Irish were rebellious because of the way ultimately the English had, had, had been treating them. Right. So you had this sectarian, this this hundreds of years by the time Lewis was born, even you know three hundred years of this sectarian history when Lewis was born. And he's born into a Protestant family in Belfast, in Northern Ireland. Yeah, surrounded by this anti-Catholic, very strong anti-Catholic bias. Exactly, and his and his nurse was a Presbyterian who was very anti-Catholic. And in, and Lewis himself said that he had been taught from the cradle never to trust a papist. Now, right. a, a papist is the term of abuse for a Catholic. Uh-huh. Never to trust a Catholic. So, uh, you want to have the bottom line. It's because he never. In spite of the fact throughout the whole of his life, and this is what I, I document in my book, Lewis moves closer and closer and closer to the Catholic Church, the, close, mm-hmm. the Catholic Church's position on all sorts of things. Um, he can never finally overcome that knee-jerk childhood from the, manger, from the cradle uh, anti-Catholicism. This is really interesting. Right now it's relevant because we're, we're sitting in South Carolina, and I, as my listeners might know, though I was brought up in Pennsylvania, went to Bob Jones University. In the heart of, of the American Bible Belt, where Catholics, even now, although our population is growing, we're still less than 5% of the population. And our non-Catholic brothers and sisters who might be listening, a lot of them will be in this situation. They will have been brought up like Lewis in a culture and a religious culture which loves the Lord Jesus and are, are good Christian people in many ways, but they have a deep bias against Catholicism. It's like Catholicism cannot possibly be right. And they can look at Catholicism and admire certain Catholics, like maybe Mother Teresa or some of the teachings of Pope John Paul or or whatever, or they might see other Catholics and see that we're doing good things and preach the gospel and love the Lord Jesus, but there's still this big barrier. So it's it's relevant to some of our listeners. Absolutely. And, and the irony in Lewis's case, of course, is that two of the most important people in bringing him to the Christian faith, G.K. Chesterton and J.R.R. Tolkien, were Catholic. We need to remember that although Lewis was brought up in, in in a Protestant family in Northern Ireland, he lost his faith as a young man right. and became an atheist. And so for a period of time as a youth and as a young man, he was an atheist. When he first met J.R.R. Tolkien, he was an atheist. But the two people that brought helped to bring Lewis to a belief in Christ were, first of all, uh, G.K. Chesterton, the Catholic convert, the, the convert to Catholicism, the English writer, who Lewis first read when he was fighting in the First World War. And then he read uh, Chesterton's The Everlasting Man uh-huh. and said that for the first time he saw the Christian outline of history laid out before him in a way that made sense. Hmm. Uh, and then a few years later he met J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, now I should say one thing here as well that, no, that, that Lewis, that, that line I gave about never to trust a papist mm-hmm. is part of a longer sentence. He said, ever since childhood I was taught implicitly never to trust a papist mm-hmm. and ever since my arrival in Oxford explicitly never to trust a philologist. Tolkien was both. Tell us what a philologist is. <laughs> but literally speaking, a philologist is a lover of languages, but right. it's an expert on languages. Mm-hmm. Um, Tolkien was a, a professor in, in, of languages at Oxford University. They became friends. So the point is, of course, that Lewis's friendship with Tolkien forced him to confront his prejudices. And uh, again, the irony was it was it was the friendship with Tolkien, and in particular, a long what C.S. Lewis called a long night talk with Tolkien in uh-huh. September 1931 that led. Lewis to a belief in Christ. So at the end of that long night talk, he could say to his friend, uh, Arthur Greaves, that I have definitely come to believe in the Christian God. And the long night talk with Tolkien had a great deal to do with it. This is really interesting that here's J.R. Tolkien, who's not just a Catholic, but a, a Catholic who goes to Mass every day, a Catholic who is deeply a Catholic. And he he's being an evangelist. He's reaching out to his friend and his brother. I can almost see him walking with Lewis down the, those walks around Magdalen College where I think the conversation took place. Yeah. 
almost with his arm around Lewis's shoulders, whispering in his ear, saying, look, 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 you know, and it's a Catholic who has this instrumental, powerful conversation with that him. That removes the scales from C.S. Lewis's right. eyes, makes him see the Christian gospel, and it's from that he becomes a believing Christian. And then, of course, such a powerful witness to Protestants and Catholics uh, throughout the world for now 80 years since then. You said that he was moving closer and closer to the Catholic faith. What are some distinctively Catholic doctrines that C.S. Lewis would actually believe in, even if he didn't put them right out there in his books? Well, some of them he did actually put right out there. Right. For instance, in in one of his last books, uh, Letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer, uh-huh. you know, he states explicitly that he believes in purgatory, right. that he believes in praying for the dead. Mm-hmm. He even says he wrote, wrote a letter to his friend as an Anglican nun, saying to her, if it's permitted, will you come and visit me in purgatory? In other words, he didn't only believe in purgatory, he believed he was going there. Um, And uh, in that same book, Letters to Malcolm, again, this is one of his last books, so it's it's where he was at at the time of his death, or just shortly before. Um, He said that that next to the Blessed Sacrament, your neighbor is the most important thing. That was in the sermon, The Weight of of Glory, wasn't it? I'm not sure exactly. I think so. Yeah, next to the Blessed Sacrament, your neighbor is the most precious and sacred thing that you will ever see in this earth. Which, of course, is go right back to the two great commandments of Christ. To exactly. love the Lord thy God and to love thy neighbor. First of all, he's calling it the Blessed Sacrament, which you know, virtually nobody does except for Catholics. Right. And secondly, he's certainly very implicit in the, in the phraseology of that sentence is mm-hmm. that Christ is really present in the Blessed Sacrament. I, I think the other thing we have to emphasize is, remember, we're talking about an Anglicanism that was really alive in the 30s, 40s, and 50s of the last century. The Anglicanism C.S. Lewis would have experienced, I tasted of when I was in Oxford. This would have been in the 70s, but it was still alive. This was an Anglicanism which was thoroughly sacramental, an Anglicanism which had the Eucharist at the heart, an Anglicanism which believed in the scriptures and the historic faith. And in many ways, as an Anglican in that time period in England, where Anglicanism was enjoying a real resurgence, Lewis was a lot closer to the Catholic faith than he would have been being an Anglican today. Absolutely. And one of the things that I, that's one of the ironies of history, if you like, is that Lewis now is of a denomination of one. Right. Because it's not, it's not that he uh, is his own religion. It's that the religion of which, to which he subscribed, the Anglican religion, has basically turned its back. We've just had this conversation with some friends of ours still in England, Anglican priests all their lives who are now becoming Catholics in great numbers. An Anglican friend of mine has said, how sad that they had to leave the church they ministered to in all these years. And you've commented about the wisdom of your wife. My wife actually said, hang on, she said, they did not leave the Anglican church. The Anglican church left them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. And C.S. Lewis, therefore, in his way, well, I want to claim him as a Catholic in the broadest sense because he did actually believe so many of these Catholic doctrines. Tell me, do you know anything about that correspondence he had? I think he had a correspondence in Latin with a Catholic priest. Is that right? Yes, Don Calabria, uh, right. who's since been canonized by the church. He's now a saint. And Is uh, that right? Yes. I didn't uh, know that. Yes. So they, we have this, uh, the Latin letters of C.S. Lewis. Has, it's been published as a as So St. C.S. Lewis and St. I mean, <laughs> sorry, St. Calabria and C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Okay. Um, when I'm asked, is, you know, is C.S. Lewis a Catholic? Right. I refer to the fact that Lewis believed in purgatory and believed he was going there. And my answer is, well, he is now. <laughs> <laughs> right. If he isn't, he soon will be. <laughs> right. He'd like that joke, I think. And uh, it's part of his his sense of joy and his enthusiasm, which he shared with Chesterton. Here's a great rollicking figure with a, with a world-class mind 
who's followed Jesus Christ. And maybe, while it's an interesting question, why did he never become a Catholic, it's also maybe a question which is just theoretical. Because I, I like to also think that when he got to the other side, all the other things about the Catholic faith, which he wasn't able to accept here, he was able to say, well, of course, of course. A, and I get that actual understanding of heaven and judgment from him. But let's that, get one thing straight here. Well, that's what purgatory means. Purgatory means to cleanse. In the purgation, so the, right. The, yeah, so, the, the, so when we die, you know, which of us, in all honesty, can say when we die, we are fit to face Jesus face to face. Right. So the only way that we can be fit to face Jesus face to face is if Jesus washes us clean in his blood after our death. Right. And, that, and that's the purgative process, the cleansing process. And part of that cleansing, of course, is coming to realize all the things about Jesus that we didn't know. Do you know that? Remember that instance in the last uh, of the Chronicles of Narnia, the last battle? And uh, there's a pagan who is a sincere pagan, and he goes through the door into the stable, which leads to the next world, which leads to the last judgment. And he's a worshiper of the pagan god, which I think in, in that book is called Tash. Tash. And um, he goes through and meets Aslan, the great Christ figure, who he was taught to be afraid of. And he sees Aslan and he says, but you are the Tash I have always worshipped, or words to that effect. And so C.S. Lewis has this beautiful picture of the Last Judgment being time when we actually do go through the veil of death and go into the next world and where, where the scales are lifted from our eyes, where we see everything as it really is. We are, see ourselves as we really are, and we're introduced to truth. Absolutely. I would say two things there. First of all, I think that the, the last 30 or so pages of The Last Battle, the final book in the Chronicles of Narnia, is perhaps some of the uh, finest theology of death mm -hmm. uh, and the afterlife you're ever going to read anywhere, and it's in a children's story. And that's, that, that encompasses or encapsulates C.S. Lewis's genius. That's also where the children are going further up and further in. Yeah. And every level of heaven becomes bigger and richer and more real. And all the things in this life that are truly blessed be, are more, re more really themselves than they were in this life. And everything they'd given up in this life is returned to them in its reality and its goodness. Yeah, it's absolutely superb theology. But the one thing I would say about, about purgatory, you know, this cleansing, the church also teaches that it's going to be painful. And, right. that, and the only reason for that is that when we come to see the uh, reality, including the role that we played as sinners in nailing Christ to the cross, mm -hmm. when we come to see that as it really is, not in theory but in practice, which is all part of the, the scales being removed from our eyes, we are going to weep. Right. We're going to weep at realizing how we contributed to the crucifixion right. of our Lord. So there's going to be a painful dimension. Yes. And Lewis obviously puts that into his books as well. He, yeah. he, he experiences that or he, he looks forward to it as, a, as one of the realities. Yeah. Okay. We have a few minutes left here. We're talking with Joseph Pierce, the author of C.S. Lewis and the Catholic Church and many other books. If you would like to hear more and study and read more about this whole area of Catholic Church and culture, Catholic Church and literature, check out com. St. Austin Review or Star Magazine as it's known, is Joseph's pet project. He has lots of wonderful writers in there writing about film and music and literature and politics. Um, you can subscribe at com. $40 for six issues per year, and there's also an opportunity to uh, have an online subscription for half that price. Joseph, I want to ask you a few more questions about C.S. Lewis and the Catholic Church. What about uh, C.S. Lewis and the Virgin Mary? Did he? How, how did he deal with that? When you look at C.S. Lewis's life and development of his Christian belief, he's moving closer and closer and closer to, to, to Catholic Christianity except for, for two positions which he seems never to have mm -hmm. really moved on. One is the position of the Blessed Virgin 
and the other is the position of the papacy. Right. And on both these two issues, there are what we can probably best describe as an embarrassing silence on the subject. He doesn't, he doesn't come down against the devotion to the Blessed Virgin. He doesn't come down against the papacy. He just refuses to talk to discuss it. So it's what we can really call an embarrassing silence. But what, why was why the silence? Well, because I, I do th- I do think that uh, this is where we get to that deep down residual uh, sectarian Protestantism that he's brought up with. Part of my past, C.S. Lewis is also important in my conversion. I was involved with the Protestants in Northern Ireland. Right. I was anti anti Catholic, and I, I know that I know the way they think. I know their songs. Mm-hmm. And there's songs against the Blessed Virgin, um, and that song, no, no Pope of Rome, no chapels to sadden my eyes, no nuns and no priests, no rosary beads, every day is the 12th of July. Right. And these sort of songs, so you know, the position of the papacy and the position of the Blessed Virgin are big problems for that sort of, uh, should we say, Protestant fundamentalism with which Lewis grew up culturally. And he never really managed to get away from it. I mean, I'll give you an example. Warren Lewis, his brother, Warney, mm-hmm. some people say he was closer to, you know, to Catholicism than, than, than C.S. Lewis. And certainly he used to, used to go to a hospital in, uh, in Ireland to recover from, from bouts of alcoholism, right. uh, administered to by the nuns, by the sisters, and he was very, very, very attached to them. But when the troubles started out in Northern Ireland, the late mm-hmm. 60s, when the, the troubles between the Protestants and Catholics became violent, there's, a, there's this, this letter from, from Warney Lewis who says he could throw bombs like the rest of them, talking about throwing bombs like at the Catholics. Right. And this is you know, a few, few, few years before, he, after C.S. Lewis had died, a few years before Warney died. So it's, it's as if that tribalism sort of trumps the intellect. And we have to remember, too, this is a kind of anti-Catholicism, anti-Protestantism, which was actually literally killing each other. I mean, this is a history of bloodshed and feuds and blood feuds and people on both sides who were far, far from the Christian gospel and their behavior. Yeah, let me say one other thing very quickly there, though, is that we, we need to understand this is tribalism rather, rather than sure. doctrine. I mean, these people hated Catholics because they were Catholics, not because they knew anything about right. Catholicism. And likewise, the Catholics didn't like the Protestants. Purely tribal. And we need to, we need to remember that because it's not about you know, it's not about doctrine. It's not about doctrine. It's about tribes. Right. It really is ethnic. Right. And that, again, is it applies an awful lot to some of our listeners here in South Carolina and across the Bible Belt where this anti-Catholicism is deeply rooted. Uh, of course, they're not throwing bombs at Catholics and things like that. But there's still this general assumption that the Catholics cannot possibly be right. And these particular two areas of um, the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Pope, I hoped on more Christianity to explore some of these topics and talk to some, perhaps some converts who've got their head around these things and their heart around these things and were able to take that step which C.S. Lewis was never able to take of actually trusting in Jesus Christ and believing him with his whole heart but actually taking this step into the Catholic Church. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, the pastor of Our Lady of the Rosary Catholic Church here in Greenville, South Carolina, and I'm talking to Joseph Pierce, my friend, an author, biographer of a lot of great Catholic writers. Joseph, thank you very much for being with us today and tune in again next week to more Christianity, exploring the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. 